Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Well, thank you, Kathy. If you aren't already there yet, be in your Bibles in John chapter 1. I've got mine right here with me. Uh, before we get to the text that we just heard, I want to just give a quick shout out to those individuals who went down to Roanoke with us yesterday. If you went down to Roanoke, just show your hands. If you can raise them after yesterday, right? We're kind of sore. We worked all day. Uh, there's a recap video on our Facebook page if you want to go see some of the work we were able to do and who we got to work with. Uh, it was a, a blessed day, and we're excited to be partnering with our church family down there. Um, so in the last few weeks, we've been working through the question of identity, right? We've been uh, looking at John the Baptist and how he approached his identity when he was asked, who are you? And then, and then we found out uh, who Jesus was and his identity, and we found out that there were two titles that he was given last week. What were the two that we uh, talked through? They end with, of God. What were they? Nailed it. Lamb of God and Son of God. And as the Lamb of God, what does he do? He takes away... The sin of the world. And as the Son of God, he baptizes with who? The Holy Spirit. And so today, based on all of this, we, we've got his identity cleared. We, we know who he is. And today we start to see Jesus on the move, out in the world. In fact, we see him on his search and rescue mission. And I'm going to preface this uh, this way with going back, rewinding the clocks all the way to the beginning, because you and I, we begin the, the narrative of humanity in a what? A garden, right? You see, God created all of mankind, right? Everything that exists was created by God and for God, and, and one of the things that he created was you and me, humanity, and it was established as the pinnacle of his creation, uh, we were given domain over all the fish and the sea and the birds of the air and the creatures that crawl on the ground. And we were told to subdue them and take dominion over them. And not only that, but most importantly, we, we had God in that garden, right? We, we could relate to him. We could fellowship with him. His presence was there and his goodness dwelt with us. And there's one command that he ultimately gave that was restrictive and it was simply to do, not do what? To eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And yet humanity, Adam and Eve, symbolic of us, decided to eat of that fruit, believing that God had gotten it wrong. That God had messed something up. And when they ate that fruit, their eyes were opened to their own nakedness. And so they covered up. And then they heard who come along? God. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day after they had eaten. And then God asks a question, which we all know he knew the answer to, but he asked a question. What question did he ask? Where are you? Where are you? When do we usually ask that question? <laughs> when we've lost something, right? <laughs> When we've lost our keys, when we've lost a son, which apparently I leave at home, right? When we lose things, right? Where are you? You see, God knew the answer to that question. It wasn't like he was like, oh man, I lost my creation. Where'd they go? Right? He knew where they were physically, but he was making a declaration in that single question. He was describing the lostness of humanity. 
Lostness, we talked about this a few weeks ago, lostness has to deal with being out of place, right? It's, it's not in the place where you say it should be or it should be, and it's out of that place. And In other words, humanity was lost to God's design, his plans, his purposes, his grace, lost to his presence, lost to his warmth. And in fact, whenever we ate of that fruit, our sin ripped the fabric of creation's goodness and fractured the design that God had created it with and for. And and so now creation itself is in a fallen state. It's a lost creation in a way. But I don't know if you heard as Kathy was reading our text this morning, there's one key word that's repeated the most in this phrase. It's a key theme. Did you hear it? Found. Found. It appears five times in the whole passage that we read. So when Jesus goes on the move, we've confirmed who he is. When he goes on the move, lost things get found. That which was out of place gets brought into its right place. Lost people are found. So Jesus is sent out on this search and rescue mission. And somehow, some way, maybe through someone... Jesus found you. He he pursued after you. He found you where you were and brought you in. Right? And today we're going to see some of the strategies that Jesus himself uses to find people. We're going to see that there really are people who receive Jesus who believe in his name, who inherit the right to be children of God. And and we're going to see that there there are ways that Jesus uses us in the part of his process to find people, to go after them and bring them into the kingdom. We're also going to see today some of what happens when he does find someone. So we're going to have four different like case studies this morning. Four, uh, you can call them findings, four followings, either way. But, but we're going to go back to verse 35. And, and, and it's where John the Baptist is out in the wilderness again, still doing his thing. And this time, he's got two disciples with him. Verse 35, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. The word disciple, we see, we see the, the word disciples introduced in this text here, finally in the book of John, and, and we see that it, it means learner, it means uh, somebody who's a student, and disciple in that day was a, an individual who attached themselves to a teacher, to a mentor, and would just not listen to their words to learn, but would see their lives, because our, our lives speak much more loudly than our words. And so they'd sit and they'd watch and they'd follow literally their teachers. And they've apparently been hanging around Johnny B for some time now and learning from him and hearing him. And and Jesus comes by their way. And what does Johnny B do? Same thing he's been doing. 
he preached the same message that he was just preaching a day ago. He said, look, the Lamb of God. And these disciples, they realize, they realize that Jesus is who Johnny B has been preaching about the whole time, all along. And so what they do is they detach themselves from Johnny B and they decide to follow Jesus. Guys, these, these disciples weren't going after a more prestigious leader. They weren't going after somebody who's a bit more charismatic and likable. They were listening to the instruction of their teacher and realized that Jesus is the culmination of John the Baptist's teaching. So they followed him instead. You know, one of the things I notice about this text, though, is that John the Baptizer seems to be going against the cultural thing to do today, which is what? Build your empire. Build your influence. You know, you can just go make a Facebook page and start posting on stuff or Instagram and Twitter, and my goodness, you will build your empire. I mean, people get introduced on talk shows by how many followers they have on Instagram, which is just baloney. No, Johnny B's like, nope, go right ahead. It's not about me. Go ahead and follow the one who it's all about. Like he's willing to lose his following to Jesus. And we'll talk more about that in chapter three. But when these two disciples, they decide that they're gonna start following Jesus, Jesus turns around and asks them a question that I think we all need to keep in mind as we're deciding we follow Jesus. One of the questions that needs to be asked Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and noticed them following him. He said, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Guys, this is the existential question to be asked of everyone who encounters Jesus. When, when you follow Jesus, what, what are you looking for? What, what, what's your intention? What do you think you're going to get out of it? I mean, even now, as, as you continue to follow Jesus, what's the answer to that question for you? Why do you, this very moment, follow Jesus? What are you looking for? Guys, how, how you answer that question, is gonna, it's going to show you a lot about who you think Jesus is and what he's here to do. Right? So did you, maybe, just a few samples, right? Did you maybe go after Jesus because you... You think he's here to make you more comfortable in life? To, give, to, to make things a little bit easier? To get rid of your suffering? Well, if that's the case, then he must have absolutely hated the Apostle Paul. Because Paul and the rest of the disciples really, literally, offered up their lives for Christ. So he, he said himself that we would find trial and tribulation in this world because of him. So if you decided to follow Jesus because you thought he was going to make your life more comfortable, then goodness, I hope you already woke up to the reality that that's not true. Maybe, maybe you followed Jesus because you thought he would maybe help you in your financial situation. Maybe he'd bless you with some prosperity. Well, I'm just going to say, and I don't know if you, you probably heard this, Jesus didn't even promise a, a, a place to lay his disciples' heads. No, he didn't promise us a home. So it's not that. All right, why else do we follow Jesus? Did you, maybe, maybe you put your faith in him because uh, you were told he'd be able to clear your guilty conscience and, and, and maybe give you a little bit more self-esteem. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, 
right? But goodness, it's partially true, but he also said, you gotta deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him daily. If you wanna save your life, you have to lose it. Okay, well, why do we follow Jesus? Why are, what are we looking for when we follow him? That's the question that Jesus asks these two, and it turns out that their answer is acceptable to Jesus. It sounds weird, but basically what they say in their response is, we're looking for you. We're, we want you. you. Jesus, you're enough. We don't need you to go bless our pigs back at the house. And may they have a beautiful ancestry line and be productive in the markets. Or I don't, I don't need you to come and fix my wife. No, no, I just, no, we just, we want you, Jesus. I want to come stay with you. Where are you staying? Jesus invites them along. He says, come. Come after me. And this is the first time in this gospel that we see Jesus building his following. Finding people where they are. And, and, And this first case happened because why? Because a faithful preacher kept preaching Jesus. Right? John the Baptist sitting out there with some, some followers from some disciples and he's preaching the gospel that he's been preaching all along. Hey, look, the Lamb of God, he's here. He takes away the sin of the world. Guys, I gotta be honest. Um, preachers don't have anything new to say. If you haven't found that out yet, just stay around for another Sunday because I'm saying the same thing next week. It's Jesus today, it's Jesus tomorrow, and the next, it was Jesus yesterday, and it will continue to be Jesus forevermore. There's nothing compromising in that message. That message will not change. Preachers will continue to preach it who care deeply about this. It's always Jesus. And John the baptizer is preaching Jesus again and again. And in his preaching, directing people to Christ, two men here decided that they were going to pledge their allegiance to Jesus alone. Because of a preacher. And so one of the things that we're going to do throughout the day today, one of the things we're going to do throughout this morning, Luke already prompted you to think about that time when Jesus found you. When you decided, you decided to follow Jesus. Or better yet, when Jesus found you. And we're going to celebrate that in each of these four unique parts as we go through this. So, so I want to ask you, if you're someone who uh, this morning gave your life to Jesus when he found you because some pastor or some preacher just kept preaching Jesus to you again and again and preaching the gospel. If, if you were found by Jesus because a preacher preached Jesus, would you just raise your hands? Yep, there's one way. Keep them up. Keep them up. You see how many people were found by Jesus because some guy was, or some girl was willing to humble themselves and preach the gospel? If you raised your hand, I actually want to hear the names of the person. If you can remember, who was the person who was preaching Jesus to you? Henry Wingfield. Henry Wingfield, okay. Daryl Walters. Walters. Are these pastors? 
Okay. Your dad. Your dad. Reverend White. Pastor Mank. Say again. Paul Barnhart. Pastors who submitted themselves to the authority of Christ and preached again and again. So I would ask you, if you shouted the name of a pastor who was preaching the gospel to you, I want to challenge you to go find them and thank them. Because they were an instrument of Christ to find you. So do that this week if you could. Guys, this is how I was found to follow Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home, right? My parents were faithful to have me involved in the culture of church, have me understanding the gospel, but I didn't want it. I kind of understood it enough to know that it was costly. But I was found to follow Jesus because I was at a summer camp at the church that I had grown up in, and I had heard the gospel repeated again and again and again and again, but I didn't actually hear it until I was at this summer camp when my heart of stone turned into a heart of flesh and the scales fell off my eyes. There was a guy named Dan Kruver. He was the guest preacher for the whole week. I don't even know where he is or what he's doing. He might even be dead. I don't know. But he preached the supremacy of the treasure that Jesus is from Romans 1, 15 and 16. That he is worth giving everything up for. And so now, because of some guy who decided to offer up his week to go preach this book to some high school kids at a summer camp, I can openly and proudly confess that I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Because somebody kept preaching Jesus. So to find us, Jesus, he'll use faithful preachers who proclaim the gospel, who exegete the character of God through his word. And you've seen it testified to here this morning. So praise God that he uses faithful gospel preachers to find us. Amen? Case study two. Let's look at verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which is translated Peter. So let's first focus on 42, okay? When Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus, Jesus sees something and, 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 and does something that only he can do, right? He gives Simon a new name, truly. You guys remember what a name means, right? Scripturally? It signifies your abilities. It signifies your character in a way. So Jesus tells Simon, you will be called Kephas. Some people say Cephas, but anyways, you can get in the Aramaic all you want. But it's Kephas in the Aramaic, and, and John translates it here in the, into the Greek as Petros. Now, you guys know what that means, right? What does that word mean? Rock. So, in other words, as much as Dwayne Johnson would like to claim it, he is not the original rock. What Jesus 
was doing here? Was he just making like a, like a prediction about Peter? I think you'll be this, yeah. You might, you might turn out this way. No. Jesus was declaring exactly who he was going to make Peter to be. You see, Jesus knows you and he knows me through and through. There's not a single part of us that he's not fully intimately aware of. And he knows absolutely everything about us, not just presently, but in the future as well. And the crazy thing, he's got plans for you. He's got plans and a purpose for your life as you walk with him, to be used by him. And he can speak those very things over you. One of the things I was, I was caught by in studying this was a quote by D.A. Carson. It says this. He says, Jesus knows people thoroughly and not only sees into them, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. He calls you saint and he makes you a saint. He calls you A blessing, and he makes you a blessing. In other words, we won't know who we are truly designed to be unless we follow Jesus and let him redesign the fabric of our nature and the order of our lives. Guys, I I can tell you firsthand that it's a really depressing thing to live not knowing who you were designed to be. I can just tell you firsthand, it's a miserable experience in life when you live your life not knowing exactly who God says you are, who you were made to be. Simon finds out who God intends for him to be here. Jesus himself declares Peter to be a rock. He's changing his name to a rock. Now, does that mean Simon's going to be really hard-headed? Actually, I'm not saying that's directly related, but Peter ends up being pretty hard-headed. Out of all the disciples to relate to, I relate to Peter the most. And you know you do too. You ain't as good as Paul, okay? We're all Peters. Right? It turns out that Jesus had plans to build his church on Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And that's exactly what we see happen in Acts chapter 2. When the Spirit of God descends into his disciples and anoints his people, they go out and they're proclaiming the name of the Lord and worshiping God. And Peter stands up in this community, in this crowd, and he preaches the gospel and the church explodes. On this rock, I will build my church. On Peter. See, You see, Jesus, in following him, isn't taking you away from what you think you're supposed to be. In following Jesus, he's not, he's not removing from you what you think you should be. He's actually guiding you into who you really are. You actually find more of who you really are in him. That's what we find here. So not only should our motives for following Jesus be questioned at times, hey, why are you seeking Jesus? What are you looking for? But also, our our identities should constantly be turned back to this and rooted in this and what Jesus declares of us and who he's making us to be. So all that to say, we, we, we looked at Peter and we looked at what happens when he was found by Jesus, but... But how did Jesus find Peter? Who did Jesus use to find Peter? His brother. 
a family member. His brother John, or Andrew, sorry. The first thing that Andrew did when he found Jesus, or when Jesus found him, was to go immediately to his own brother and say, we've found the Messiah. Andrew goes right to his own family, right to his own brother, and invites him to follow Jesus. We found the Messiah. Guys, this makes sense, right? This shouldn't catch us off guard. This shouldn't be weird or awkward in any way, right? If your brother or your sister or your mother, your father, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, your son, your daughter, whoever it is in your family has cancer and you've found the cure for cancer, who are you going to run to first when you've found it? Your family. Right here, Andrew finds something infinitely better. It's this Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he goes right to his own family. As Lifeway Research did some some surveying and some statistics, uh, and they found some interesting data. Now, some of it's debated where the statistics come from, but Lifeway Research has, has kind of confirmed some of this. So if a child in a household is the first person in that household to become a follower of Jesus... There's only a 3.5% chance that everyone else in the household will become a follower of Jesus as well. 3.5% chance. If the mother is the first to become a follower of Jesus, there's a 17% probability everyone in the household will follow Jesus. But when the father is the first one in the home to decide to follow Jesus. There's a 93% chance that everyone else in the family will follow. 93. So, does that kind of clear up some of the reason why Satan may be going after our men these days? That maybe answer the question as to why men seem to be struggling so much? No wonder, no wonder Satan is minimizing the roles of fathers in the life of our family and our culture today. Because they're so instrumental in families coming to follow Jesus. But no, you see, you and I, we don't let Satan have a seat at our table, do we? When our family gathers, he's got no room. We've got a chair for Jesus, but not Satan. We deeply value Christ-centered families in this church. And we believe that he can shape the culture of our homes with the gospel in such a way that Jesus will use our own families to come and find us. So I want to celebrate that part too. I want to celebrate that So if you decided to follow Jesus because there was a family member, a father, a sister, brother, right? Somebody who's related to you close by. A family member preached the gospel to you. Would you just raise your hands? Raise your hands. Keep them up. Keep them up. See how many people were were witnessed to and brought into the kingdom of God through family? 
My goodness, you can raise your hands down. I want to hear some names. What, what relationship was it? Was it your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister? Who was it? Father who? Uncle, Uncle who? Brother. brother. Grandmother. Grandmother. Who? Yeah. Mom. My goodness. And that baby's crying out too, isn't she? Say, Mom and Dad. So I want to challenge you this week as well. Jesus found you through them. And so what I want to challenge you to do is go just in your gratitude, go to them and just thank them for being faithful. To preach the gospel in your life and maybe embody it in your home. So I I read this story this week in preparation. There was a Christian in South India. His name was Kumar. And he was really upset. He was grieved because none of the 13 people that he had invited had come to watch a, a Billy Graham evangelistic broadcast at his home on December 23rd. So he began to pray, and at about 9 p.m., he felt compelled to invite, listen, his wife's sister's family to the next broadcast. Well, the family had no phone, so Kumar had asked the neighbor to bring them to the, uh, to the phone in an urgent message. And so when his brother-in-law, Satish, reached the phone, Kumar asked him and his family to catch a bus to the city. Satish said he had no money, so Kumar encouraged him to borrow the money and said that he would reimburse Satish for the tickets. So Satish and his family consented, and at 4 a.m. the next morning, he and his family boarded a bus for the long trip to Kumar's house. They arrived at 5 p.m., and an hour later, they watched the My Hope telecast from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And afterward, Kumar gave his testimony, and he asked, uh, he asked if the others wanted to put their faith in Christ. Satish and his family were all looking at each other with wonder and amazement. And then Satish, noticeably distressed, stood up. And explained that he had lost his job because the tea factory he worked for had closed. Further, the company was demanding that the family vacate their company-owned house. Seeing absolutely no hope, the family had decided that on December 25th, they were all going to commit suicide together. And now they saw that they had hope in Jesus. So they prayed with Kumar, their brother-in-law, to receive Christ. Satish said he felt like a new man. And after staying several more days with Kumar, they returned home ready to face the future with Christ. Guys, can you see some of the miraculous things that God can do when you're just faithful to go after your own family? No matter how distant the relationship or how broken it may be, how awkward things may be. We've got to book it. Let's go to verse 43. We've got our next case. We've got a guy named Philip. And there's only one verse about this part. Verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. That's all that's said here. That's all Philip, that's all we know about this part, right? Jesus himself is the one who goes after Philip. Jesus finds him. Jesus invites him to follow. Which 
ought to give you and I the most incredible amount of hope, especially for those who seem too far gone. They might be out of our arm's reach, but they're goodness, they're not out of Jesus' arm's reach. God's arms are not too short to save. He can go after any soul and find them. And it's happening. It's happening all around the world. Even in the most unreached places, like places where there's no gospel, places where they have no access to Bible, places where there's hardly any Christians at all. We've heard it last week. We heard it in the testimony from Haney and Joanna, right? In the Middle East. People are having dreams of this miraculous image of a person, angelic, saying, I have a gift to give you. It's the Holy Spirit. There are people all around the world who are hearing the gospel through visions and dreams. Jesus is going after people without people. He's going after them in miraculous ways. And if you're like me, that kind of makes you uncomfortable because, well, don't they need this? They're getting it. So if it isn't going to be a preacher, if it's not going to be a family member, my goodness, it can still be Jesus himself waking people up from death to life. So, so I'm, I'm going to ask this question, and I'm just going to see. We're going to test it out. I don't know. Any of you in here came to Jesus simply because he came and visited you in a dream or in a vision in some miraculous way? Oh, yep. There are several. How am I not surprised? He does it again and again. Praise God. Let's keep going. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida in the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, said Nathanael. Well, come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus answered, Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And so we get to this fourth case, and it's, it's introducing us to Nathanael. And Nathanael seems to be like this natural-born skeptic, is he not? Now, it's possible that Philip and Nathanael are at least friends, but at least, at the minimum, they're hometown buddies. They share the same hometown together. And Philip goes after Nathanael and finds him and says, we've found the one. It's Jesus. And Nathanael's response does show that he's kind of a skeptic. He says, can anybody come out of that podunk town, Nazareth? Now, guys, I had a comment in here about some local towns, but I don't know the area enough. You guys know the area where you can say, well, that, yeah, that's the podunk town, right? But I'm not going to ask you to shout that out because I don't want anybody from that town to be like, excuse me? What are you talking about my hometown for? But obviously, Nathaniel's question is totally redirected because, sure, yeah, actually something really good can come out of Nazareth, <laughs> But Philip's response to the skepticism is really appropriate. Did you notice what he did? He doesn't jump to an apologetical base, right? He doesn't be like, well, I've got this defense built up for that response. Ah, Bible man, here we go. No, he, he doesn't jump into apologetics. He doesn't criticize him for his skepticism. What does he do? Just, yeah, come, come and see for yourself. It's an invitation, uh, it's evidential. 
right? It's evidential revelation. It's evidential based. Hey, just don't, don't take my word for it. Come on. Just come meet him. Meet him for yourself. So Nathaniel comes to Jesus. And similar to Simon Peter's experience, Jesus sees Nathaniel as he's coming. And, and he says, here truly is an Israelite with, in whom there's no deceit. Now, there's a long story that could be, uh, I'll cut it short really, really quickly. Israel had a history of deceit. In fact, the three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were really well known for their deceit. Hey, yeah, that's not my wife, that's my sister. That's not going to work. But then Jacob, whose name turns to Israel, kind of marks the characteristics of Israelites. But Nathaniel was the kind of Israelite that didn't have that deceit. That didn't have duplicative motives. He's willing to examine the claims about Jesus for himself. And apparently, Jesus hit the nail on the head when, 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 uh, when Nathaniel walks up and he says this. And Nathaniel's like, wait, wait, how, how did you know me? Of course, he knows that's true. It's true about him. I'm not, I'm not a deceitful person. I care about truth. And Jesus' answer just blows Nathaniel away. Before Philip called you, when you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, we don't know why Nathaniel was sitting under that fig tree. Uh, the TV shows, uh, the, the Chosen depicts it that his career is just in shambles and he's stressed out and he's crying. And Jesus sees him there. That's nice. It's not in the Bible. It's nice. Uh, Augustine pictures the fig tree as the symbol of sin. And we're all Nathaniels, right? And so it's just, right? Either way, we know that Phil, or Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree and Jesus sees him before Nathaniel even sees Jesus. Jesus found Nathaniel, and Philip was the messenger boy. And he's sitting there alone, and he, Jesus knows his ways from a long way off before anything else. And, 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 and like, isn't that comforting? Like, before Philip found Nathaniel, before Jesus really found any of us. He was already paying attention to us. He already saw us. He was already aware of us. And what's Nathaniel's response? He confesses Jesus is the Messiah. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, which is the confession that John the Baptizer made back in verse 34. He says, You are the King of Israel. So Nathaniel's skepticism is just cleared right up. Hey, come and see for yourself. I know you're skeptical, just but come and see. Well, I've been changed. I'm new. I believe in him, right? He came, he saw, and he was conquered by the Jesus who finds us. All because a friend from his hometown decided to say, hey, I've found the purpose of our existence. Come and see him. So I want to celebrate that too, real quick. If, so, so this might be a bit more uh, responsive. Uh, when you came to faith in Jesus, was it because a friend invited you to come and see? And if so, if that's you, if it's because somebody who you're not related to, it wasn't a preacher preaching from a pulpit, and it wasn't like a miraculous thing, it was just some friend. Maybe you knew him, maybe you hardly knew him. Raise your hand if some friend came and preached Jesus to you. Yeah, several. We've got several. And there's Austin going like, yeah, the daddy, the daddy kid room. It happens. So I want you to shout their names too. Who was it? Your friends. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Yep. 
Guys, it's happening. Family, preachers, friends, Jesus is on the move. And so I would just say, for those of you who say, yeah, I, I had a friend come and preach the gospel to me. I gave my life to him. I would, I would challenge you to go find them this week and just say thank you, even if it's a letter or like one of those Facebook messages, whatever way. Thank you for preaching the gospel to me. So, so with all of that said, we're wrapping up here. Can you see Jesus is on the move? Can you see him on the move on this search and rescue mission? Can you see him, how he finds us where we are as we are? Do you see him clearing up the skeptics? Do you see him changing the identity of those who are confused? Brothers and sisters, today we see on the ground what our mission is. Multiplying faithful followers of Jesus Christ. As this, this lies at the heart of true multiplication. It, what's, it's what leads to rapid kingdom expansion. Guys, in these two days, in these verses, in these two days, we had five people come and follow Jesus. We haven't even seen that in a year here that we know of in this church. How did it happen? Well, you had some preacher who was faithful to preach the gospel. Uh, new followers go and find their family or their friends and invite them to come to follow Jesus. And then it just went on repeat again and again. So it may all spark with the gospel preacher, but it always begins because Jesus is on the move in the world and he's finding us where we are. And he can use our family, he can use our friends, he can use crazy dreams, himself coming to us, or he can even use our friends in our hometown or community. And he is moving us from lost to found. From lost to found to following. So all this to say, can you see why we're taking a bit of a different approach for our Easter extravaganza event? Because I didn't, I didn't find in this passage that Jesus developed his following by giving kids Easter eggs. I found it when he sent out his own followers and they said, hey, come, I want, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. Let's go. Let's go see Jesus. That's how his kingdom is built. That's where people are found. So, so maybe this may encourage you to take heart. You've seen it here already. Jesus can use preachers. He can use family. He can use friends, neighbors even, to bring people into his kingdom. And he can use you to go find people. So don't, don't forsake yourself from that. And so with that, I just, I just want to pray over us because I just want to pray that God would unleash us in such a way where this happens rapidly and miraculously. So let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that, that even in texts like this, we can find encouragement, we can find hope, we can find 
your strength waiting for us there, to be uh, building up our, our faith, to be encouraging us with testimony. And God, I praise you for everyone here this morning who raised their hands, who you've found through people, whether it's a family, pastor, or friend, whatever it is, whoever it was, God, I thank you for finding us. That you sent your son to come and find that which was lost. And Father, I pray that you would unleash these people, unleash our church family into this community and into this world to be faithfully inviting people in the context of relationship. Whether it's their family, God, if there's someone in their own family who's turned away from you or is just far from you, God, I pray that you would go after them through their family. I pray, Lord, for those uh, neighbors and friends that we're aware of in our community or maybe from the past, God, I pray that you would invigor within us a, a longing to be willing to share the gospel with them as well. And God, I pray that this week many people would be found by you because you've unleashed the people here to go and witness and bear testimony of Christ and all that he is. Please, God, we pray that you would do this miraculous work and we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would stand, I want to pray a prayer of benediction over you. It comes from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. And it says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And all God's people said, Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.